The Bible reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 1, and beginning to read at verse 35, if you want to follow it in the church Bibles, by the pillars, um, that's the page number. John chapter 1, verse 35, John's disciples follow Jesus. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him saying that, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The very first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Ah, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And then Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, Well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word... Help us uh, to do so carefully listening for your still small voice speaking to us personally and corporately as one big church. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Like Griselda, I have also come now to Camberley to improve my English. Uh, For those of you who um, don't know what I'm saying this morning, I do come from Manchester. And we do speak a certain type of English, so there may be some Mancunian words that come out. I'll try my best to be as smooth as I possibly can so that you can hear it here in Surrey. In, um, um, In 1962... 
which I understand from records was the year before 1963. There were two young people, um, Jackie and Oric. And Jackie and Oric uh, were in Manchester uh, at the time. Um, they were teenagers, late teenagers, 19, uh, 18, 19, 20 years of age. And um, in those days in Manchester, uh, the teenagers every weekend went to uh, a place called Bellevue. And at Bellevue, uh, there was a dance hall. And the teenagers of the, of the age used to kind of like to go there on, um, certainly on a Saturday evening, Friday evening, and dance uh, the night away. And Jackie and, and Oric, over those kind of months of going to Bellevue, um, they really uh, fell in love. And it was just a kind of a wonderful uh, time for them. Until Jackie noticed that there were some changes in her body. And to her horror, she found that she was pregnant. And, and it was to her horror because she, she just knew that her, her mother was, was just going to go spare. She, she was just going to lose it kind of big time. And so Jackie, as a 19-year-old, as a she, she kept it a secret. She, you know, kind of, she wore kind of clothes so that she could keep it a secret until, of course, there was that day where she just had to tell her mother. And sure enough, uh, blood pressure went through the roof and, you know, big arguments, big rows and, you know, kind of this was not the sort of thing to be done on a married, on a married mother. Well, of course, as always in these cases, nature takes its place and, and a child is born. And Jackie's mother immediately says, the child is mine. Well... This allowed Jackie and Oric to uh, continue, you know, with the relationship and to continue to go dancing and you know, have a great time together until Jackie noticed some changes in her body. She was pregnant again for a second time. And this time, her mother said, I'm not having another one. Not having another one. Either, either you leave or you get rid of the second child um, and get rid of that boyfriend of yours. What choice? What choice? What would we do in those circumstances? Well, as nature takes its course, a second child is born and a few days later, Dr. Bernardo's come and take the second child away. And a few days after that, um, the, the children's father, Oric, comes and knocks on the door as Oric normally would do and they refused to open the door and the, the child's father, the children's father, walked away, never to be seen again. I'm the first child in that 
story. And all the way through my childhood, my teenage years, into my 20s and, and 30s and actually 40s and I know surprisingly 50s, some of you, I struggled with, with abandonment and, and rejection. I was the only child in my school of a different colour. So you can imagine the difficulties that that, that caused. I can remember when I was um, uh, six or seven years of age, I was rooting around the house, you know, as children do from time to time. And I, I came across a certificate. And on that certificate, um, it had the name Michael John South. Michael John South. And the certificate had the same birthday as I had. So, so I brought this certificate down to my grandmother, who I lived with. And I said, who's Michael John South? And my grandmother snatched the certificate away and said, that's nothing to do with you. And of course, I was Michael John South. I've been introduced today as Michael Harvey. But little did I know I'd had my name taken away. Little did I know I'd had a sibling taken away. And I certainly never lived with my mother. Until one day, my mum, one Sunday morning, came uh, to my grandma's house where I was living. She lived around the corner. Do you remember that, those days when you used to live around the corner? Um, and, and she said, she, she invited me to church. My mum invited me to church. Well, actually, she said, get your coat, you're coming. But it was as close to an invitation as we can possibly get, isn't it, really? And so I went to, went to church at eight years of age. And at 11 years of age, three years later, um, um, the youth leader of the church came to me and, uh, and said, Michael, if you start coming on Sunday evening, you qualify for the church football team. I said, football? Started coming on a Sunday evening. Uh, a few months later, he came to me and said, Michael, on a Friday evening, we've got this thing called Bible Club. Uh, after Bible Club, we play table tennis. Table tennis started coming on a Friday. A few years later, he said, do you know that passage that we were looking at tonight? Next week, could you say something on that passage? What, uh, me? He said, yes, you, Michael. And, and then he started to uh, take me when he used to go preaching at different church, churches. I, I used to read the lesson uh, and Frank would preach. And, and that's how it went for a, you know, a number of years. And until one day he said to me, oh, Michael, I've double booked myself. Can you go to that church you know, that I've double booked with? I said, what, me? He said, yes, yes. You, what am I going to say? Well, you know, that which we've been preparing for the past six months or so. See, where would I be without that invitation? First of all, by my mum. You know, I pay tribute to my mum on Mother's Day. But where would I be without that series of invitations? See, I needed a father. I needed a father, and Frank became my 
spiritual father. You know, uh, when I eventually got married, I used to go around to Anne and Frank's house every other Saturday afternoon and used to tell him stories of, you know, kind of the development. See, because Frank believed in me before I believed in myself. He saw something in me. He, he led me to a relationship in Jesus. And then he saw the development. He saw what God was doing in my life. And as I then started to kind of go out, you know, kind of to different parts of the world, trying to kind of get across the importance of a single invitation. The importance of a single... He, he, he was so thrilled to tell me the story of what it was like in Australia, what it was like in Canada. You know, what, what, what was it like as you went out? He was so proud. Until one day, I received a phone call. I'd just uh, finished my first Skype sermon into Canada. And I get a phone call after that to say that Frank had been rushed into hospital and had died on the operating theatre, in the operating theatre. And I had the, the, the privilege of inviting him back into church for the final time. You know, we are disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. But in the passage, it says the first thing that Andrew did. You know, the first thing. In, in fact, at, for the first time today, I heard it, it was the very first thing. That's what I heard in the reading today. The very first thing that Andrew did was to set up a worship group that released an album that went to the top of the Christian charts. Oh no, he didn't do that, did he? Very naughty, by the way, for not doing that. He could have made a lot of money, you know, kind of Christian charts nowadays. No, it says here, the very first thing that Andrew did was to set up a social organization to look after the poor. Oh no, he didn't do that either, did he? Very, very naughty indeed. No, it says the very first thing that Andrew did was he went to invite his brother. And I just wonder, you know, with all of the brilliant things that we do as, as Christians throughout the world, you know, without which, you know, kind of the world would be in such a terrible place. Do we sometimes forget the very first thing? The very first thing. Um, I want to roll it on to a couple of years ago, and um, I was in the front uh, pew of an Anglican church in Edmonton in Canada. I'd just completed a two and a half week tour of Northwest United States and Alberta, and um, teaching about the importance of a single invitation. After two and a half weeks on tour, I was really looking forward to going home. I had three final sermons to do. I was sat on the front row. I turned to the notice sheet and in, in horror, I noticed it was the wrong gospel reading that I'd prepared for. I was in Mancunian sweating cobs. Um, you know, I was perspiring, you know, this was, you know, this was horrifying. Now I know you can preach on whatever you want really in an Anglican church, but really, 
you know, if you had the gospel reading, probably that's the next thing. So I looked at the gospel reading, couldn't see anything there, nothing whatsoever. I looked at the Old Testament reading, it had something like, pluck out the eye of the unbeliever. And I thought that wasn't going to go well at all. Um, but then I, then I reread the gospel reading again and, and I, my eyes came to John chapter 14, verse 18, where it said, I will not leave you orphaned. Two and a half weeks on tour. At that point, I didn't know how I was going to preach at that point. I will not leave you orphaned. My goodness. There are so many orphans out there. I will not leave you orphaned. And it finishes off that verse with this beautiful little phrase. I am coming for you. And you know what? God comes for us in different disguises. In different disguises. A mum who says, get your coat. You're coming. Frank, Frank, if you come on a Sunday evening, you qualify for the church football team. God comes to us in disguise. I am coming for you. God sends for his nearest servant. I am coming for you. The first thing that Andrew did was he went to invite his brother. Look what happens, look what happens. You know, I've got criticized around the world, you know, well, it's got to be an invitation to Jesus. You know, it's not an invitation to church, Michael. So I get criticized just for trying to get invitation into the life of the church. But look what happens when an invitation happens here in, in, the, in the passage. He invites his brother Simon. Simon says yes. And Jesus says to Simon, you are Simon, but you will be Cephas. Blumenek. Invitation leads to transformation. You will be. We are not just human beings. We are human becomings, becoming who we are meant to be in Christ. Invitation leads to transformation. And so I'm just trying to get into the life of the church just in my lifetime. Is it possible to start you know, thinking about our churches as not just as welcoming, but welcoming and inviting? And remembering things like this. You know, success is just the invitation. Leave the result to God. You know, whether somebody says no, leave that to God. Don't let it impact us. And to become as interested in the person going on mission to invite as well as the person who's going to be invited. It's really important that we tell testimonies, we tell stories of what happens to us as we go to invite? Well, you know, getting invitation into church, somebody said to me, it's a bit like introducing um, your friend to church. It's a bit like your, your son um, um, inviting um, his parents to meet the girlfriend for the first time. My, my, my son, uh, Ben, at the age of 16, uh, started going out with Emily. After um, three or four weeks of this, 
I approached his mother, my wife, of course. And I said, um, don't you think it's time we met Emily? Well, negotiations of international proportions took place. I think the United Nations were brought in. Um, and after a couple of days, uh, Ben came to me and he said, Dad, Dad, Emily's coming on Tuesday. Behave. <laughs> and before we start doing any of this inviting stuff, we need to be going around our congregation, don't we, saying, uh, behave, uh, behave. And in fact, can you stay away on that day? This is fraught with all sorts of difficulties. But I think to become an invitational person, and I know some of you since the last time I came have started on this path, and some of you have not quite started on this path. I think to become an invitational person, you need three things, and I think we see these three things in this passage. First of all, to become an invitational person or an invitational church, you've got to have hunger. So there's the first thing. You've got to have hunger. It says the two disciples followed Jesus. Now, now would you, Adam and Eve, would you, Adam and Eve, people who met Jesus never followed Jesus? What a shocker. (laughs) What a shocker. But these two did. These two did. They had hunger. So how hungry are you? How hungry are you? Now, let there be hundreds. You know, I wanted to say thousands. But let there be hundreds finding relationship with Jesus through you. Just by a simple invitation. Just by leaving the result to God. But you have to have hunger. It's dead easy to sing as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you until we get our first knockback. Hunger. Hunger. You know, the children of Israel heading to the promised land, they never got there. They got their future cancelled. God wants the best for us, but sometimes it needs our free will, our hunger to follow God. So you've got to have hunger. The second thing is we've got to dream. It says you shall see greater things than this. You've got to dream. You know, so who is God asking us to invite? You know, what is that dream? Imagination is an attribute of God. Let there be. Let there be. I would say to St. Paul's Cambly and to those who lead, lead from your imagination, not from your memory. Pull from God's future. Learn from God's past. So if you could do anything make any contribution, what would it be? What's the dream that God has given to you and nobody else but just to you? My dream and why I'm stood here today is a million Christians inviting a million friends in a day. That's my dream. Now, I've been at this for 14 years. I've not seen it yet. Maybe I won't. 
see it. But that is the God-given dream that God has given me. And I will try my hardest to keep going with the vision. Because there's another 8-year-old boy out there. There's another 15-year-old girl out there. There's an adult son and an adult daughter out there. It could be a relative of yours. Just waiting to be invited. Even if they say no, doesn't mean to say that they weren't waiting to be invited. So you've got a dream. And finally, in this passage, you've got to resolve. You've got to resolve. It says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? You see, as soon as you get your dream out there, as soon as you get your dream out there, what you get is... You know, somebody trying to take your dream down. And by the way, normally those who shouldn't. Those who shouldn't. So Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Clearly. Absolute joy can come from Nazareth. No doubt about it at all. But you see, it says, you know, kind of, when Jesus was in the synagogue, Jesus sets out his mission statement. It says to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind. You know, he rolls the scroll out, he gives his mission statement, this fantastic mission statement, and then he sits down after setting out his life purpose. You know, he should have been warmly greeted like Martin Luther King, I have a dream, until someone said, hang on, Isn't this Joseph's son? Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? You know, on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, they were laughing at the church. They were mocking the church. Look, if we haven't been laughed at lately or mocked, are we doing anything for God? Jesus went to the wilderness to be tested. No test, no testimony. No mess, no message. God seems to grow us through the more tricky times in our lives. Hezekiah chapter 3 verse 16 says, You have to kiss a lot of frogs. Oh no, sorry, I know you were looking for it there. It's not, it's not in scripture. We'll try and add it though. You know, C.S. Lewis had 800 rejections before he had his first book published. You know, I think I said it on the Saturday. One sentence to help St. Paul's Cambly. We're not hearing enough no's. That's it. We're not hearing enough people say no to our invitations. More no's lead to the yeses. It's just the way it is. A sower goes out to sow the seed, plural. Some of the seed falls on the path. Oh dear, we need a new initiative. No, we don't. The success of the sower was kept on sowing. Hunger. A dream, resolve. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming for you. 
indescribable, uncontainable. You placed the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All-powerful, untamable. But you see the depths of my heart. And you know me by name. In silence, I'd like you to bow your heads for a few moments. And in that silence, I'd, I'd love us just to ask God... Is there somebody that God is nudging us, prompting us, calling us to invite? Somebody that's laid on our heart. I'm just going to keep the silence for a few moments.